Hey, what's up, Warriors? It is Jeff from WarriorLife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 357. So this week, a tragic story of a hero's death and the eight critical lessons it holds for all of us who identify as an armed protector. Let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. Hey there, welcome back everybody. This is Jeff Anderson, Executive Director of WarriorLife.com. And these are the kinds of stories I do not like to read about. But unfortunately, they're not isolated incidents. These things happen. You may have heard about this in the news especially for those of us who do carry concealed. This has kind of hit a lot of us with a news story that kind of hits close to home. But there are some real lessons in here because this really can happen to any of us. So let me go ahead and share the story with you as it's unfolded so far and then share with you eight tactical lessons that you need to take from it, especially if you are a concealed carry license holder. So it was about 1.30 in the afternoon when Officer Gordon Beasley, a 19-year-old veteran of the Arvada, Colorado Police Department, was responding to a call of a suspicious person at the town square. There was no way for him to know that earlier that day, 59-year-old Ronald Troike, if I'm pronouncing his name right, um, had left a note with multiple statements about killing as many Arvada police officers as he could. Now, as Officer Beasley was walking up an alley towards the square, Troike pulled up in his truck, he parked, he ran after the officer with a semi-automatic shotgun. He yelled to Beasley and waited for the officer to stop and turn around, and then he shot him twice with the shotgun, killing him in a brutal, cowardly ambush. Troike then shot out the windows of a patrol car, he proceeded to fire shots in the air, and bystanders were running for cover. You can see this in the video that we will go ahead and post on our blog over at warriorlife.com. So you can see at least part of the situation. Be aware that it is a um, it is a graphic. There's there's no blood or anything like that, but it is a graphic video. It is hard to to watch for some people. So just be cautious of that. Um, Troike then returned to his truck to retrieve an AR-15 rifle, and he was really intent on taking out more victims. Now, fortunately, his plans were snuffed out pretty quickly before he could injure or kill anybody else. Because in a nearby Army-Navy surplus store, 40-year-old Johnny Hurley was visiting from Denver to do some shopping when he saw Troike walk by with the AR in his hands. Now, Hurley was a licensed and armed concealed carry protector, and he didn't hesitate. He sprung into action. He confronted Troike, and he shot the armed gunman as he walked back to the town square for more victims and saw him fall to the ground. Now, police had already been called, and they were en route. Hurley most likely didn't want to take any chances of the downed gunman coming back to consciousness. So what he did was he grabbed the AR-15 rifle in order to safeguard it. Now, the rest of the story is still under investigation, but we do know this. A responding Arvada police officer, whose name is being withheld right now, came upon the scene and saw Hurley there in front of a bleeding person holding an AR-15 rifle, and he shot him. 
Hurley, a true hero, died on the scene from those rounds. And again, unfortunately, this is not an isolated incident. And for those of us who do consider ourselves true protectors, people who may one day be put in a position where you have to defend yourself, your family, or even others, his death serves some critical lessons when responding to a lethal encounter. So here are eight tactical takeaways from the shooting that you really need to consider beyond just how tight your shot group is at the range. So lesson number one. If you are present at an active shooter situation or any scenario where you may be called into action, don't draw your gun until you have positively identified the threat. Now, that might seem counterintuitive to a lot of people. In fact, some of these lessons are going to seem counterintuitive to you. It's, it's very common to think that if there's shots being fired, and if, especially if there's an active shooter, you don't know where they're going to be. Like you basically go into battlefield action, right? You have your weapon drawn and you're looking for the bad guy. If you are the type of person that runs toward danger. Now, of course, that's not, you, I can't give anybody those instructions. Like it really does come down to who you are as a person. It's okay to just get your family and get the hell out of there. That's what you should do. But I understand that some people are just known to run toward danger. So if that is you, you don't want to draw your gun until you have positively identified a threat that is truly a threat. Now, this is key because there's something else I'm going to share with you here in a little bit, because you might not be actually responding to the threat that you think you are. So you don't want to draw your gun. Other, other people might see you. You could be seen by other police officers. You're there with a gun. You could get shot. All right, lesson number two is you need to understand that responding officers are not going to understand the scene that they're coming upon. They're coming in with limited information. And any sort of a lethal encounter is a dynamic scenario. It can change at a moment's notice. Police officers are especially aware of that. Now, the police responding to the Arvada shooting were going on a call that was essentially a man on the scene holding a gun. When the officer arrived, Hurley was a man on the scene holding a gun. So that's why you don't want to draw your weapon there if you don't, if you don't have to until you actually see that there's a threat and you're able to safely engage it. Okay. It goes along here with tip number three which is to holster your weapon. Now, again, this is going to seem counterintuitive as well, but as soon as you've neutralized the threat, holster your weapon. Again, I, I know this seems like, you know, I know when you're at the range or especially tactical courses, you've got your weapon out, you're scanning around, there could be multiple attackers there. And I totally get that. It's, again, it's a very dynamic situation. But you do need to understand that police are going to be responding to the scene of somebody holding a gun. They don't know that the person down on the ground was the bad guy. In this situation, the police officer thought that Hurley was the bad guy. I mean, you see somebody there with an AR-15 rifle. Now, obviously, that is not like that's not that's not recommended, right? Like you're not a concealed carry operator is not walking around with an AR-15 rifle. So of course it looks suspicious there. All right. But there may be other good guys with guns that are around in the area that when they come upon you, come upon you, like those people are going to run toward danger, especially if there's gunshots fired. They're either going to be police officers 
uh, whether they're uniformed or plain clothes, or they're going to be other licensed concealed carry operators, and they're going to come out there running to danger, and there you are, you might be seen as the danger. So go ahead and holster your weapon for safety's sake, as long as there is no other threat in the area. All right, tip number four is realize that police will eventually be on the scene. So you need to look for them. Now, remember, when you're in shock and your adrenaline is spiked, you could be getting tunnel vision. Uh, tunnel vision. But there's also other factors as well, like auditory, uh, auditory exclusion. Or there could be loud background noises. Or it could just be your ears are ringing from the sound of a firearm. So you are going to be less aware of your surroundings under those conditions, especially if you're thinking that there is a threat there in front of you and you don't, if you don't know that this person is going to come back to consciousness or what's going to happen. So one of the best ways for you to break out of those effects of the adrenaline spike, of shock, is to visually scan your surroundings and look for signs of the police. This is one of the things I talk about when it comes to uh, we talk, you know, people. You see people at the range, and it's like you get done firing, and you you bring your your weapon back to low ready or high ready, and you look to the left, you look to the right behind you, and it just becomes kind of this obligatory movement. You need to actually look for something when you look behind you. So the best thing to do is to look for other threats, of course, but also you want to look around for officers that are responding. Not just when you have your, I'm, I'm not just talking about when you have your, your weapon in your hand, but I'm talking about just, it is one way to break out of that, that shock is by using your vision to kind of break, if you can break away from the, uh, the tunnel vision, that's going to help your other senses kind of come back to the moment as well. All right, so, so you want to scan the surroundings and look for signs of the police. Now, when you do spot police officers, you want to make sure that they recognize you as the good guy. So you want to first get their attention. So wave your arms high and wide to get their attention. You do not have your weapon in your hand. And then when you do get their attention, keep your hands up high and wide the entire time. You, you, they don't know if you're going down for a weapon. So you've got their attention. You keep your hands up high. Keep it wide the entire time so that they know you are not a threat. You're at, at least not an immediate threat because you don't have, I mean, again, officers look for the hands, right? So show them your hands. Don't, don't make them go looking for it. All right. All right. Tip number five. I know I get in trouble for this and I don't care. Like I'm going to, I'm going to give you my reasons because this is a very, very controversial tip. I know it is. So don't dismiss it. Listen to me first and then feel free to share your own opinion. And that is whether or not you carry a concealed carry badge, a metal badge that looks like a police officer's badge, as part of your everyday carry. I have long said that I do have with me a concealed carry badge as part of my everyday carry gear. Now, this is something that is really poo-pooed by, by gun owners everywhere um, because it's oftentimes seen as like an ego booster. Like, oh, I'm a wannabe cop. That's not it at all. It's not a magic talisman. It's not an ego booster. For me, I know that police are aware that there are plainclothes and undercover cops that, can, that, that are out there that could be also responding to an incident. And those undercover cops and sometimes plainclothes cops also 
I'm not, I'm sorry, not undercover cops typically, because you don't want to have to be, be seen with a badge, but you could be out there. So you could be in plain clothes and they carry badges with them because when they come up on a police line, if they've got it out they're they're there to identify themselves as a police officer. Now I'm not saying you impersonate a police officer. You do not, you do not carry a, an officer's badge with you if you're not an officer but they do make concealed carry badges that look like police officer badges. So for me, personally, having a badge that I can put on my belt or hang around my neck can't hurt me. It can help identify me by other concealed carry uh, handgun owners out there that are responding or police officers that show up on the scene. If somebody sees a badge hanging around my neck or on my belt, that I've been able to take out of my gear and, and quickly put on, I see that as one more chance that I've got to be considered a good guy. All right? Now, don't do this if you're in the middle of a Black Lives Matter protest or a protest against the cops. Don't Obviously, just keep that thing tucked away, right? And also, like, don't go waving it around at responding police. Any metal in your hand could be seen as a weapon. So you don't go... Look, oh, I have, I'm a license. I have a license. And you're waving that around. Nope. Especially if you say I have a license for a gun. All I hear is gun and they see something waving in your hands that's metal. You could be seen as a bad guy with a gun. So don't go waving it around. Just I'd like to have it so that I can just put it on my, put it on my belt. Um, there are other reasons that I have it as well. Um, it's inside of our everyday carry, our, our covert survivalist guide. There's some other reasons inside of there. But anyway, in the purposes of this, I just want, I like to have something there that might just give me away as being a good guy. I'm open to your thoughts, but that's my reasoning and I'm sticking to it right now. All right. Tip number six is no sudden moves. If you do have your weapon in your hands and you're challenged by officers, realize that it is human nature to turn around and look at someone who's shouting at you. Realize that your gun may go with you when you turn around. So if you don't necessarily see the police there, you don't hear them because of auditory auditory exclusion, that if somebody yells and you turn around, you need to make sure that if you do have your gun in your hands, that that thing is not going with you. If your handgun is in your hands and you are approached by police, what you want to do is you want to point the gun up in the air with your fingers spread wide apart to show them that you're not taking a shooting stance against them. And then you want to listen to their instructions. All right. So you need those fingers spread wide, hands up in the air. You want to show them you are not a threat. All right. All right. Tip number seven is to expect that when they do arrive, you are going to be treated harshly. You're going to be treated like a criminal. They don't know that the person down on the ground is the bad guy. So you need to make sure that you already have that in your mind because it's very, it's very easy for us as the good guys, as the sheepdogs out there, as the protectors, to think of ourselves as, wait a minute, I'm one of you guys. Now, of course, logically, you know that the police don't know that. But at the time when your adrenaline is high and you're in shock and, and there were shots fired, then there's this, there's this thing that happens inside of us that we're not, obviously we're not thinking clearly. And so you might want to try to explain your way out of it, especially if the person like isn't actually shot on the ground. They're potentially a threat. And now you're looking at it as, wait a minute, if I take my gun off of this person, then they're going to be able to get up. More than likely, if you do not drop the, the, your weapon when they tell you to, that's going to be a bigger problem. 
So you want to make sure that you realize that you are most likely going to be treated harshly as if you are a criminal. So do not try to explain it away. Don't don't wave the gun around, thrust your gun around, even if it's pointing away from the officer trying to point at the bad guy with it because it looks like you're going to shoot the person. All right. And finally, tip number eight is to do exactly what you're told. This seems like common sense. I understand, but it's not necessarily. You need to realize that uh, police are taught to expect that their commands are going to be followed immediately and accurately. Anything else, anything other than that, when they're faced with a dangerous criminal, means that that criminal is probably thinking about their next offensive move rather than obeying those commands. If they say to drop the gun or back away from the vehicle and that person is doing the exact opposite of that, that's not good. That means that person has, is, uh, has ulterior motives. Why are they doing that? They should follow the commands immediately and accurately. Now, there's a, a, a good case of this that happened back in 2018. I think it was in uh, Texas where there was a man that was part of a, a group that was being held hostage in a church. And the man was able to wrestle the gunman. He, he grappled with him. He got his arms around him. He got him to the ground, and he took his weapon away from him. So it was great. Now, when police arrived, what they saw was the churchgoer with the weapon. Now, they gave him commands to drop the weapon, which he did. But he did it by slowly lowering the weapon because he thought it was going to go off if he dropped it. So because he didn't literally drop the weapon and he was lowering it slowly, you, I think you can understand how a police officer might look at that as, okay, he's bringing it down, but it's still in his hand. So he's gonna, he, maybe he's faking it. Maybe he's going to go down and he's going to quickly like shoot me. Drop the gun means drop the gun. In that church situation, uh, that, that churchgoer that, that, uh, that was the good guy got shot twice because he didn't just drop the gun. So drop the gun means drop the gun, even if the gun would go off. And guns don't typically do that. But even if it did, it's much less likely that that round is going to probably hit somebody and kill them than it is that you're going to get shot and killed if you don't do exactly what they say. So do exactly what they say. All right, that wraps things up. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. And next, hit me up on our blog at warriorlifepodcast.com and let me know what you thought of this episode. Let me know what lessons you think are coming out of the Arvada shooting and what are some other things that maybe I missed in my response with officers. Also, if you have a question or a tip that you want to share with your fellow warriors out there, go ahead and head on over to warriorlifetips.com and submit it there. We'll even reward you for what you send us. And if you're loving this podcast episode, please go and leave us a badass review wherever you are listening in. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube where we release a new video every week and subscribe and hit that bell so you don't miss a single episode. And until our next Warrior Life podcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.